Let's bow our heads and ask God's blessing on our time and His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the blessings already of this day that we have received from Your hand. The blessing to open Your Word, to sit submitted to Your Word as it is taught, as it is read. Got to come before You in prayer come boldly through the blood of Jesus to sing rejoicing in the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ God we thank you for these blessings and we come now anticipating expecting further blessing as your word is preached because of the promises you have given us in your word. God, I pray that the weak and feeble efforts of this preacher will be overpowered by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that as you hide me behind the cross, that Jesus Christ would be proclaimed in our hearts that we would hear the voice of our Savior. God, we pray that today, in this place, in this very hour, that you would sanctify your people, that you would save sinners. We ask this for our good, for our blessing, for your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom, and in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I would invite you to turn in your Bible to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Old Testament book of Isaiah. We're taking a short detour from our systematic study through 1 Peter as we consider the birth of Jesus during this time of year when Christmas is observed all over the world. So many don't have a good understanding of what this season is for, of what the birth of Jesus means. And we seek to go to the scripture and understand what God has revealed here. We have already read from the book of Isaiah. We've already read from the book of Luke where Jesus read from the book of Isaiah. And now we go to the book of Isaiah chapter 5. The book of Isaiah is the source of many prophecies concerning the promised Messiah. And now on this side of the incarnation, we can look back to those prophecies and we can see in living color, as it were, what those Old Testament saints saw in shadows and in types. So we come to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5 is known as the Song of the Vineyard. We've already read from Isaiah 27 about the vineyard. And here in Isaiah 5, we find a vineyard and the Song of the Vineyard. Now, last week, we looked at the Song of Mary. And today we consider this song, the song of the vineyard, 
So we continue with this song thing. You might say this is a Christmas song series. Uh, last time the message I titled a good Christmas song. And I'd just like to say, uh, it's hard to find a good Christmas song sometimes. When you consider at church, we sing three or four hymns, three or four songs per week, 52 times a year. Do the math. That's a very limited number of, of choices that we get to pick. And, and so we don't want to waste one of those choices on a bad song. We want to choose good songs. And wow, we sing some good songs. We sing some very good songs. We don't always sing them well. Some songs, like the one from uh, from Psalm 32, we're just learning that, so we're not singing it super well yet, but we'll get there. Well, we want to sing good songs, and we just sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I hope that you were paying attention, following with the words that as we sang. Today, I have titled the sermon, O Come, Emmanuel. And we'll find much of what we see in the book of Isaiah, we'll find in this hymn as we work through these texts. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a song sung primarily at Christmas time, but we're going to see today that it is a good song for a Christian any time throughout the year. So if you found your way to Isaiah chapter 5, I'd like to read the first seven verses, and then we'll skip down to verse 13. And uh, brother, Pastor Brent really nailed it when he said there will be no allergies in heaven. We look for that day. Even so, Lord Jesus, uh, so I'm dealing with allergies and uh, and then taking some allergy medicine. I thought, well, that'll help me through the sermon. And it has dried my mouth up completely. So forgive me for indulging in a little water. It's a wet whistle. Isaiah chapter 5. I'll read the first seven verses and then we're going to skip down. We'll, we'll skip over and, and stay in Isaiah. We're going to move around in Isaiah a little bit, so keep your Bible handy. I want us to get the picture that is presented here. We have a metaphor that the prophet is using, a metaphor or a, a comparison, if you will, a word picture. Uh, he speaks here of a vineyard, of a garden. This is the song of the vineyard. And this garden vineyard does not produce as it should. And verse 7, he tells us that the vineyard is representing, the vineyard picture is representing Israel. So let us read and we'll see this unfold. Isaiah 5 verses 1 through 7. Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved has... Uh, had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted in it, uh, planted it with choicest vines. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. Oh, now inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for my vineyard that I have not done? Why? 
When I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now, let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. Verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. So we see this picture of the vineyard is presented here to show us all that God has done for Israel. Verse 2 shows that God has done everything that could be done to set Israel up in the best possible way. They had every provision to produce fruit, good grapes for God, but the people of Israel were found in sin. They had broken the covenant which God had made with them. He had delivered them out of bondage in Egypt and had brought them after 40 years of wilderness wandering. He had brought them to the land of promise. But now they were not faithful. Verse 4 says, God expected to find good grapes, but instead he found worthless grapes. This is the picture, the metaphor of the vineyard that we see. But in verse 7, we see no longer metaphor, but reality. Uh, the reality of Israel. God expected to find justice, but rather he found bloodshed. He would have seen righteousness, but what he found is an outcry of distress. Now God will judge Israel because of their sin. We know if we know the history of Israel that he would send the nations of Assyria and Babylon to judge them, to take them into exile. Now we look down at verse 13 and we see that he prophesies this. Therefore, because of this sinful condition, therefore my people will go into exile for their lack of knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged, enlarged its throat and opened its mouth without measure. And Jerusalem's splendor, her multitude, her den of revelry and the jubilant within her descend into it. So we see here the sin of Israel and we hear God pronounce this judgment and the judgment continues. If we look to verse 20, as he pronounces woe, woe to those who call evil good, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights 
of the ones who are in the right. God here is using the nation of Israel, this Old Testament people, to paint a picture of a greater reality. These things happened to the nation of Israel, but it's a picture as God portrays not national Israel, but spiritual Israel. This language, the language of a vineyard, the language of a garden, should a garden that should be perfect, but has been corrupted by sin, this language should call us to remember another garden that we read of in the beginning. Way back in Genesis, that perfect garden where Adam lived with Eve, where God had made this perfect place. But there, there was a fall. Sin was the reason for man being removed from that perfect garden. Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were exiled. Here we read about Israel being exiled into Babylon and Assyria. God is using this exile motif. And this exile motif is not just for Adam and Israel, but this is for all men and women who are born in Adam's lineage. All those who, as our confession said, are born of ordinary generation. Now, who is that? That's all of us. That's all of us who are here. We are under the just wrath and judgment of the thrice holy God. Sinful men are those upon whom woe is pronounced. And exile is our condition. In exile, the nation of Israel mourned and grieved and that pictures the estate of sin for man as we are in exile without Christ, as we mourn and suffer under sin. We mourn in exile. And that is expressed in the hymn that we have just sung, in the hymn that we consider today. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. The hymn speaks of the sad and desperate plight of the people in exile, mourning in lonely exile, waiting for the one who is coming to deliver. The hymn shows us hope, it begins with, O come, O come, Emmanuel, until the Son of God appears. This hymn shows hope. Israel was exiled, but those who share the same faith as Abraham, they had hope. We have hope. Their hope and our hope is not in an earthly king, not in an earthly kingdom, but hope in the Messiah. The hymn writer expresses this hope. O come, Emmanuel, until the Son of God appears. In a later verse, we read of the key of David, the last verse of this hymn, and we see that this key of David, sometimes we sing things and maybe we wonder, where does that come from? 
and King of David. What does that mean? Well, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 22, and we're going to see this key of David come out. This key of David. This is yet another picture of the Savior who would come to save God's people. Isaiah chapter 22. Let's look at verses 20 through 23. Then it will come about in that day that I will summon my servant, my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your tunic and tie your sash securely about him and entrust him with your authority. And he will become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. Let's remember this because we're going to see this in a moment. That this is referring to Christ. He has the key of the house of David. When he opens, no one will shut. And when he shuts, no one will open. I will drive him like a peg in a firm place and he will become a throne of glory to his father's house. Just as the nation of Israel pictures for us God's people, spiritual Israel, so this servant Eliakim is also a picture. He is a picture of Christ. He comes carrying the key of the house of David. David's key. What he opens, no one closes. What he closes, no one opens. I, I think just reading this from Isaiah, the reference to Jesus Christ is very clear, but maybe we want to see more. Listen to this verse from Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Here as the apostle John records the words of Jesus. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, that's Jesus. Who is true? That's Jesus. Who has the key of David? Who could that be? It's Jesus. Who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one opens. In Revelation we see this reference and this language of the key of David and the opening and shutting that no one can change the state. And it's referencing this Isaiah passage and it's speaking of Christ. Eliakim as he is Spoken of in Isaiah, Eliakim was not only a, he was not a fictional character that pictured Christ. He was a real guy. Eliakim was a real person. We would say he is a type of Christ. And Christ being then the antitype. So Eliakim, though he was a real guy, he is foreshadowing Jesus. He is a picture of the Christ, the Messiah. And our hymn writer proves to be a true student of scripture when we read verse 5 of the hymn, O come thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. What he opens, no one can show. When Jesus Christ opens, the key of David opens our heavenly home, no one shuts. It continues, make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Now, though in English we don't have very good rhyming here, we have very good doctrine. <laughs> the doctrine is great. He opens the heavenly home and he closes the path to misery. 
Now I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 27. We've read Isaiah 27, these verses, but I want to revisit them again. We see this continued picture of Israel, the vineyard, Israel, the vineyard. That, that is a recurring theme that we see Israel as God's vineyard. And we see it here in chapter 27 of Isaiah. And we read of the day when the serpent, the dragon will be killed. The vineyard will be as it should be. Isaiah 27, let's read verses 1 through 6. In that day the Lord will punish Leviathan, the, the fleeing serpent, with his fierce and great and mighty sword. Even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. Verse 2, in that day, a vineyard of wine, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water, at, I water it every moment so that no one will damage it. I guard it night and day. I have no wrath. Should someone give me briars and thorns in battle, then I would step on them. I would burn them completely. Uh, if you're not a gardener, burning those briars and thorns, that's a good way to get rid of them permanently, forever. I would burn them completely. Verse 5, or let him rely on my protection. Let him make peace with me. Let him make peace with me. In these days I come, in these days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and sprout and they will fill the whole world with fruit. This picture of a vineyard is very different from the picture we saw in Isaiah 5. Before there was sin, there was the wrath of God. But here, once again, God is caring for this vineyard, but now there is no wrath. Now there are no briars. They are burned completely. Verse 6 then speaks of Jacob taking root and Israel blossoming, blossoming. Where the vineyard had been cut down, where there was nothing but a stump, a dead stump. Now, Jacob takes root. Israel blossoms. This is speaking of the promised redeemer, the rod of Jesse. This is speaking of Jesus. The serpent that is spoken of here, Satan will be killed. And when we think of this serpent... Again, our thoughts are called back to the Garden of Eden and to the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. We remember this promised seed and now we see this prophecy is still speaking of the promised seed, the promised Messiah. And we see here this, this perfect vineyard where the covenant breaking, sin-filled vineyard has been cut down and killed. Now there is a shoot. The text says Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and sprout. This shoot that comes up, this, this one that takes root and blossoms is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope for Israel Hope for Israel is not in a geographic mass of land on this present earth. 
the only hope for mankind, the only hope for you and me is to be freed from the tyranny of sin and Satan. And our hope is that the Messiah would come and bring victory. And the hymn expresses this in the third verse. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save. And give them victory o'er the grave. This is what we have in Christ. This is, this is Emmanuel. The nation of Israel was constantly mourning in exile. And when we read, even when they were in the land of promise, even when they were in that promised land on earth, they did not find the fulfillment and the peace that they looked for in that land. Some wrongly put their hope and their faith in that place, in that land. They put their hope and their faith in the gathering of the people together. And they were disappointed. Some thought the hope would be in an earthly kingdom and they pursued that. They sought a kingdom on earth. And they were disappointed. Some still have that, have that today where they place their hope in these same things. Some still expect something to be done in the east on the temple mound that will be the peace and fulfillment that we're looking for. And they seek that instead of believing in the Messiah who has come. Some are looking for, well, a messianic age or a messianic mind. But the Messiah has come in Jesus Christ. And he is the hope for sinful men. He has come to ransom sinners. Christ, the Son of God, became flesh. By taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and being born of her, this sinless Savior, fully God and fully man, has come. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The angel announced that all this took place in order to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated is God with us. The angel said, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin." When we think of the birth of our Savior, so many of us are overcome with, with sentiment of little babies. I love little babies. We have, we have taken a vote, and we believe that we have the most beautiful babies in our church. We love babies. 
But when we think of the coming of the Savior, yes, he came as a child, as a, as a baby born of a virgin. But if that's as far as we think about the birth of our Savior, if we leave him there in the manger, then we don't come to God with us. We don't come to the Savior. We don't come to the cross. We don't come to the resurrection, which is our hope of resurrection. The mourning of Israel in lonely exile, the crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, O come, thou rod of Jesse, O come, day spring from on high, O come, key of David, come, this crying out continues in the hearts of many. We seek, we seek to be satisfied. We seek to leave our state of mourning. We seek to be ransomed from exile from so many things. If, if I could, I, I could be ransomed from this miserable exile if I made enough money. But the paycheck comes and it doesn't bring with it ransom. If I had the right title, if I had the right power, if I had the right prestige, if I had the right position. But we are so many times disappointed because the only one who can satisfy this longing, the only one who can change mourning when we mourn into song and rejoicing is Emmanuel. Those cries cannot be satisfied until Emmanuel, God with us. Because he is the rod of Jesse, the key of David, the Messiah, Jesus has come. And for those who believe in him, we can sing the refrain of this hymn, rejoice, rejoice. Then you're like me, all the Christmas stuff, all of the Christmas trappings, the stuff at the mall. Well, the stuff everywhere that you've got, it's just everywhere. And maybe it's, maybe it's a turn on. It is for me. I'm uh, Scrooge, my wife says. About all of that stuff, all of that commercialism, all of that marketing, all of even uh, one of my pet peeves is to see T-shirts and necklaces and and, and uh, bracelets that say Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, the reason for the season was to get your eighteen dollars for that T-shirt. That was the, that was the reason for them, even though it says Jesus is the reason for the season. But listen, though all of those things turn us off. Some of us, others are not, and you're mad at me right now for that, so I apologize. We must remember that we are a people not mourning, not saddened. We are not a people in exile. We are a people who rejoice because Emmanuel, now, now our text in our hymn says, Emmanuel shall come to thee. Friends, he's come. 
Emmanuel has come to thee. Emmanuel has come. God with us. Jesus Christ, our hope. That we can no longer mourn, but we can rejoice. God, we thank you for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. We thank you that he was born of a virgin. That, that he might be our brother in humanity, but that he might be sinless. Not inheriting the sin of Adam, our father. We thank you for sending your son to redeem us. Those under the law, redeemed by him born under the law. God, we pray that even as so many misunderstand, misinterpret, misrepresent the birth of Jesus, especially during this time of year, we pray that we as your people would better, better and better understand how we are to rejoice in Emmanuel. This we pray in Christ's name.